0: What's going on, it's Joey Thurman, and welcome to season three of the Fad or Future podcast. Yeah, I made it three seasons. What's different about this season? Well, yes, I'm still bringing you the world's top experts in fitness, nutrition, mental health, and more, but I'm also talking about my own personal struggles i get deeper this season because we can all use a little bit of relatability so i hope you stick with me you enjoy this season and thank you for being here and as always you get to decide is it a fad or is it a future because after all we don't want to be fatties f-a-d-d-y hashtag don't be a fatty let food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. Dr. Drew Ramsey, what's up, man? How are you doing, Joe? It's nice to see you, sir. Yeah, you, you
1: like that intro right there? I like that. I like that. If it, like, let, like, if it, he, if it was 2021, he'd let food be thy brain medicine. He'd like, it a little bit.
0: I, I like that. The The brain food guy switches it up, you know, it just just uh, changes He knew some stuff, but not what we know today, you know? <laughs> like, I, like I, I appreciate that. That's well, that uh, we're what month is it now? Is it June? Yeah, it's June, no. right? It's
1: almost June soon. It's we're almost June. There. Oh my yeah, God. It just it's keep saying June. that for a little while and then it'll be, then it'll be fine. It'll be depending
0: fine. on what, depending on whenever you listen to this. Yeah. Maybe it's June, maybe it's July, um, so may we're still in May. So it, it is mental health awareness month. And for you, your book, uh, eat to beat, eat to beat depression and anxiety, huge. As people are probably aware if they've listened to this podcast, I self suffer from depression, I'm very honest about that. Um, My Instagram, I talk about it and for you, writing this book is really interesting, especially for a psychiatrist because the first time I ever saw a psychiatrist, I was 13 years old and I wasn't feeling good and I went in there um, and some lady barely listened to my problems and then she prescribed me Zoloft. Didn't really ask me anything about my life besides like what was making me sad at the time, I think I had transferred schools from Wisconsin to St. Louis. My parents were splitting up, got back together. They've divorced each other twice. So they got married to each other twice. They didn't um, get the divorce right the first time? Yeah, it didn't, didn't, didn't work the first time. You know, so this was basically asking about the problems and then just prescribed me some Zoloft. And, you know, obviously that didn't work out too well for me and she didn't talk anything about what I was doing for my health besides that. And now, fast forward 2021, you write an entire book about eating for depression and anxiety.
1: Well, um, first
0: of
1: all, uh, thank you for sharing that. Just because I think more that we all talk about mental health challenges, and the more that people see that uh, you went from depressed 13 year old to who you are now, that's just that that's important for everyone to see. And I'm sorry that you got that experience. I think that's what happens so often in my field. Yeah, that as opposed to um, when some people do need or might benefit from Zoloft, how we package that up and help them make that choice. So like in the scenario it, and, and how we put it in a context of someone's life and their own values and treatment options. I kind of think about myself as like the maitre d' at a very strange, but potentially life-changing restaurant. And the option is to really, or the, the hope is to give you a set of what are your options? Yeah. What happens if you don't do anything? Cause sometimes that's the best move in terms of, um, uh, certain certain mental health uh, symptoms and concerns that they're going to get better. And and what about as you said some of the other lifestyle choices? Can you change what you eat? Can you start moving your body more? Can you start connecting more? Can you process some of what's going on as being a young man and getting jerked around by your parents a little bit? Who are sorting out some of the relational stuff? So it's nice to be in 2021 where we can talk more about our mental health i mean that was one thing that happened about the pandemic because it went to kind of shit for everybody That yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden everybody's like insomnia you know it's like everybody's talking about like insomnia anxiety sourdough bread that was like month two right
0: <laughs> yeah like, oh, the, the whole, the whole, that sort of shit I'm like what the hell are like, people making bread like what we have nothing better to do <laughs> yeah
1: exactly it's like you guys have been hating on bread for a decade and now you're loading your home and you're like you know what I'll make myself some bread, (laughs) like like bread's bread's done with you. Like bread is like, Oh, now you come calling. Like you're saying, can I get a sourdough starter now? Like, where were you five years ago? You were anti-gluten, anti-carb. It's like no bread for you. That's what what bread should have said.
0: I I think bread is probably angry. They're like, what the hell, man? So I, you know, if she would have, I can't remember her name by any means nor what I I, I say it out loud, but if she would have asked about my eating, right. Here's what my eating looked like as a 13 year old kid. I had everything was made with Crisco in a fryer, so I was making it myself, which is nothing but trans fats, right? Uh, Crisco. In a you knew how to work a fryer at age 13. That's I like mean, I, yeah, just turn that thing on and threw stuff in, and I would I never, never. That's never amazing.
1: You had a home fryer. I don't think I've ever in all the nutritional psychiatry histories. I don't think I've ever heard a home fryer like age 13. I'm oh. frying like you just like wake up and fry stuff.
0: I I, I would man. I mean, well, my parents were from southern Missouri so that everything was beige like everything was fried even if they had asparagus it was breaded and fried so Mm -hmm. it just completely changes the nature of the food there so I would fry everything in Crisco never change the oil for weeks on end so everything kind of had the similar taste Mm -hmm. Just frying just everything and then I would dump Velveeta cheese on it, which I'm not even quite sure if that's actually cheese or not. It was it's just like, plastic, actually. It's yeah, it's plastic. like a brick it's like size, People size. worry
1: about microplastics now, but you're like, I don't have to worry about that because I just, I ate it for my entire development.
0: I <laughs> ate it for 10 years. And then fast forward to college, I was eating nothing but uh, KFC. I mean, here was my literally menu. I was 240 pounds playing college hockey. I was actually too big in Southern Illinois. Uh, I was eating a family-sized popcorn KFC, then I would get the family-sized mashed potatoes. I would eat that as I would drive to Dairy Queen and get two brownie earthquakes. And if anybody doesn't know what a brownie earthquake is, think a massive hot fudge sundae on steroids with brownies and melted marshmallow cream on it. And I would have that two and three times a day. 6,000 calories to main 240 pounds while having practice and working out an hour to an hour and a half every single day. No wonder why I felt like shit well, it it's uh, yeah, and I
1: think you also paint a picture of where your goals is like a young man pushing his body, being an athlete, are really focused around cal- caloric intake, cheap, easy, delicious, right? I mean all the stuff you just mentioned, it's not like it's disgusting. It tastes good, right? The reason that you <laughs> and and it's, it's easy. Delicious. all you have to do is pull up and be like rolled up, like roll on the window, and be like, give it to me. And <laughs> I just give you the bucket of hot, delicious food, and then you eat it. and it's yeah. like ten bucks, right. So, it, it, um, it makes sense. And I think it's part of what we're asking, right? So when you're a kid and you're eating all that Crisco, the story of Crisco, uh, my first book, The Happiness Diet, I didn't know where trans fats and Crisco and all this stuff came from. And I, I kind of reported out the story and you can track it down to a single guy. Edwin Kaiser, 19, like, eleven. he comes from, he's a German biochemist, he's in the UK, and he's figured out how to hidro- hydrogenate vegetable oils. Mm-hmm. He figures that if you heat up like cottonseed oil, and you put in a little metal catalyst, and you heat up like, you know, 400, 500 degrees, it hydrogenates, and it then turns into Crisco. And that looked like lard. And back then everything was lard. Everything was animal fats, like the candles, the grease. And like, if you ever cook with lard, you know, it's got an aroma to it. If you've burned lard candles, you know, people are wanting new, clean stuff. So he hydrogenates cottonseed oil, Procter and Gamble, who at that point were making soap. Everybody's like, this looks like food. Let's sell it and they started selling Crisco. As, and it was actually in 1912, they launched the biggest first ever big food marketing campaign where they have cookbooks. That's like all these women are in like perfect aprons talking about how it's like clean. There's also when we just started killing bacteria with antibiotics in World War uh, I and we discovered penicillin. And so everyone's like, let's kill all the bacteria. Let's right. have these gleaming kitchens with Crisco. And it was it was heart health, digestive health. There was this great ad for Crisco, like Crisco fights cancer. (laughs)
0: Really? Um,
1: Yeah, there are these. uh, There was one. There's a doctor sitting in front of a patient. Says, "The bad news is you have cancer. The good news is Crisco's delicious." (laughs) So, it's it was all these Americana scenes, like American shortbreads and all the stuff that traditionally we'd made with lard and leaf lard.
0: Yeah,
1: They started making with hydrogenated cottonseed oil, which to your point is about at that point, like between 30 and 50% trans fats. And the reason that's important is trans fats are not biologically normal fats. They're not shaped like other fats in our body. Mm-hmm. Particularly, what are called all trans fats—the ones that are in the stuff. Harvard estimates that I think it's 200,000 heart attacks a year are caused by trans fats still. Wow. And we, the food processors, like them because they're very shelf stable uh, and um, and they mix well in processed foods and keep stuff, you know, uh, on the shelf. And they're super cheap. The reason that the cottonseed oil got made is there was all this extra cotton seed in America that nobody knew what to do with. And so they turned it into food that they fed us that probably I wouldn't doubt contributed. You know, it certainly didn't help your depression as a 13 year old.
0: No, I mean that, and then you could look at, you know, all sorts of things with sleep. And let's say I was experimenting a lot in college and the, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff, concussions probably, you know, that, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that, I'm sure.
1: Well, yeah, and I think it's also the question of how do we support somebody's mental health and all that of letting them experience, experiment and go to college and play sports where there's a risk and um, and eat fried chicken, but also is there a way to really improve their brain health? There, there was a study that just came out, Heather Francis did the study in Australia where they gave college freshmen with depression and poor eating habits, they gave them little boxes of food like olive oil, nut butter, nuts, and the cinnamon, uh, cinnamon and turmeric. Uh-huh. So the dorm room smelled like exotic Christmas is what I was thinking. Yeah. But, um, and the the kids got a 13 minute video, like, hey kids, mental health is important. Your mental health is important. Eat a more Mediterranean style diet. Here's how to use the olive oil. Here are some recipes. And then five weeks later, they got a, I'm sorry, one week later, they got a five minute phone call that was like, Joey, how's the brain food box? Are you eating the vegetables? Like, did you get rid of the fryer yet? Eat more olive oil, young man. And then you got another call five weeks later and that was it. So 23 minutes 13 minutes of video, 10 minutes of phone calls. Wow. They reduced depression, anxiety and stress scores, formal rating scales in these kids that lasted for 6 months. And and I mean I think I think the, the depression and anxiety scores dropped by like a third. Wow. And this was compared to uh, you know other kids their control group who didn't get an intervention. Right. So it just so I think it goes to show you that there is a lot we can do. I mean the reason I wrote the book is there's all this new data around food and mental health and and trying to encourage people to take a more active role in their mental health
0: and, yeah. so, and not have it
1: to be, you know, what you experience. hey, mental health, you're sad, here's so Zoloft, or hey, yeah. you know, mental health, like you're sad, you played hockey, you must've hid your head, like right. good luck, right? That there's an engagement with who we are as individuals.
0: Yeah, and can can you briefly go over the difference between anxiety and depression? Because I know in your book you talk a lot about a lot of these studies are talking about depression because that's what they're looking at. But there there's a correlation between anxiety and depression, and the and these different foods are helping with both. So what's the difference really between anxiety and depression? It's a great question. I
1: think one at a, at a kind of neurological level, the circuits and kind of what they do and how they feel to us as individuals. So with depression. we often think about depression as mood, but a lot of the symptoms of clinical depression are things like low appetite, poor sleep, weight gain, things that sometimes people don't kind of consider as part of depression as much. Um, But generally, uh, you know, depression, I think, is kind of the volume gets turned down for people. You see things in a more negative way, in a darker way. Sometimes people have uh, more sort of suicidal thoughts, or um, I often think about it as as a disconnection. Right? Like when we're feeling well, we feel like connected to people, then we feel almost, um, you know, that feeling when you're really like feeling it, right? You, you know that feeling, Joey, when you're feeling it. You well, know, but, I, I, when you're
0: feeling it, Yeah. All yeah.
1: The- where, where the volume's turned up on your life. Things yeah. are colorful. Food tastes great. Relationships feel good. You feel good about yourself. Yeah. And, and depression, in some ways, I think is the volume's really down. You don't, you know, you don't feel good about the people in your life. You're feeling a lot of separation and distance. You're having a lot of sadness and irritability. And for men, uh, certainly more shutting down. Yeah. I think there's this idea that men don't get depressed as much. And I, I don't really think that's true. I think that's a horrible misnomer, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that what depression looks like in men and in women is a little different. Yeah. But d- depression is a classic mood disorder. That mood is in the lower register. There's also the dysthymia where you don't get dysfunctionally depressed for two weeks, which is a depressive episode lasts for two weeks, mm-hmm. but you have a chronically low mood. You're able to function, but you're just like, meh, you don't, you know, you feel like four out of 10. Right. Um, anxiety is more around worry, um, worry, hypervigilance, being on edge. And usually anxiety falls under this generalized anxiety disorder where you're worried about most stuff, lots of stuff, everything. There's social anxiety where you're okay, like here in my office or with my family. But when you put me in a social situation, I really have a lot of symptoms. There's panic disorder, which things are fine. Then people have acute um, panic attacks, which usually the hallmark, hallmark symptom is a feeling of impending doom, and then usually um, respiratory, uh, you know, sort of shortness of breath and racing heart. Panic attacks really scary. Yeah. Um, and then there are acute phobias, like when you're. But but the classic is sort of the generalized anxiety disorder, and people having a lot of catastrophic thinking, um, you know, playing those bad scary movies in the you know. So I tell my kids that you know the movies with like the bad clowns in the van, like like too many bad. So those are all symptoms of anxiety. Really, also in there being really worried and preoccupied with like what people think about you and your actions is also kind of one of the common anxieties that I see.
0: Yeah, there was there was a quote in your book. Uh, I think it was one of your patients said it. Something about depression is the loss of color. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really good. And that's kind of what I I feel like sometimes I never say I'm cured from depression, right? There's some days I just wake up and I I feel sad. And I don't know like whether it's, um, you know, getting a book deal, which I just got last week. Yay me. Um, Like, by the way, that always makes me sad. Joey, I mean,
1: you say that in joking, but I I filmed a course, my first like biggie course, we scripted it. We have like production It was awesome. I filmed for two days straight. And, And usually when I finish those things, I know myself now, I don't like this about myself, but I usually tend to feel a little, Little down, yeah. A little like spent and a little questioning it. So I don't know if maybe that's partially from you got a book deal and you've been pushing for it and it's amazing, but it's yeah. also, you know, it's a complex thing to achieve things. So, yeah, it, um,
0: it is. It, it is draining, you know, from from that. And it's funny until you but- do the
1: book. Well, wait till
0: you do the book promotion, Joe. I'll <laughs> see you <this> soon. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's really interesting because I I had um I had three book meetings and you, you know, the whole process and my, my agent, she's great. And the three meetings went really well. And then I got one offer out of three. And instead of me looking at it as like, man, I got one book offer. I thought deal, right? what happened to the other two, you know? Huh. And I start going down this like rabbit hole of, and then my wife's like, you're just going to major publishing deal. This is a big thing, you know? So I think that, and then when I filmed my program with OpenFit, um, openfit.com forward slash Joey, shameless plug. Um, with OpenFit, I was had like 20, 30 people around me all the time. Like, what do you need, Joey? We're doing this and cameramen and PAs and my own assistant. Yeah. And then I go from there to when we talked about some in the pre-interview and I went to quarantine myself for a couple of weeks, because this is in January the height of things in LA. And I go from all these people waiting on me hand and foot. And I was just And it coincided with my birthday. I turned 38. I'm like, wait a minute. At all these people, it's my birthday. I'm by myself, and just for days, I just felt like shit. And everybody's like, you should feel good. You just you should be reading. You should like learn a language.
1: Right. (laughs) Like
0: like, you got this time to
1: yourself. What a gift.
0: Yeah, I slept for days. I just slept because I was just wiped out. And like those depressive st- thoughts started coming out. So then you kind of try to get out of it and, you know, do some different things. But that's why I think this book is, is so important for people because one, we, we don't ever, I still think that we don't look at food as something that can help fix us. Or I don't I don't want to say fix, right. To, to help some of our symptoms. You know, and I just say like, help us, you know, that it, yeah. I think so often food is our enemy, whether
1: it's the salt or the cholesterol or the calories, it's not like this, energetic compatriot that we absorb and use for good. And Mm -hmm. that by picking the right ones, maybe we can do a little better. Joey, it's also, it's really meaningful to me to, uh, because you have depression, you know, because I think that one of my fears always is that, you know, so often this, I mean, I'm certain you've seen this on the internet, right? Where this stuff gets used is like, oh, there's this one toxin or like, oh, all you need is the kale. And then there's no need. Like, so like, yeah, of course you're on Zoloft. You don't
0: need kale. And you, you and talk how, about that in your book. Like you can, you can do all this sort of stuff and not, not have a piece of kale or something like that.
1: Yeah. You can. And, and also you can do all this stuff, right. And still, you know, as you're noting, I mean, I'm sure you work out more than anybody listening. You certainly work out more. That's one of my favorite antidepressants and yeah you know, you're, you're doing all kinds of great stuff, you know, you quote unquote should be feeling great. I think just right. to talk that around the notion of how um, how our minds, whether we have depression or not, can, or um, uh, something we need to get a harness on, excuse me, and then how, you should definitely delete that word. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then around how food can be a really, really important factor and that it is overlooked. Right? I, I often see this where, People just have not, as we take a psychiatric history as we think about our mental health, that it's not the only thing, but we just, you know, we don't really put that in there yet. And I hope this is the book helps change that of like, all right, what have you been eating over the week? Yeah. Because I guarantee you, times that you're probably feeling more depressed, it's been a time that you <clears throat> maybe haven't gotten a chance to attend to your food, or maybe it's not just the food, right? Sometimes I'll eat healthy food, I still won't feel that great because I haven't actually like sat down and enjoyed a meal. Or for me, cooking for other people always makes me happy makes me a little neurotic, but like, I just like it. Like, I don't know, it's like, I'm not the most giving person in lots of ways, but in that way, like, you know, I like to cook for you. It's like, and if I'm traveling, sometimes I'll, I'll like get to my kitchen all of a sudden, I'll just be chopping vegetables. I'll be like, wow, I've really, like, this is part of why I haven't felt right is I haven't been engaged oh. with this. So
0: I wanna, I'm curious what really works for you. Uh, yeah, it's funny, like that. You, you turned the podcast around on me. Uh, what, what works for me? Um, one, I think being aware when I feel down and telling others when I feel down. So if I if I wake up and I have one of those days and I and I just feel like shit and I can't explain it, everything's going right in the world for me mm-hmm. and I can't explain it, then want to tell my wife to say, hey, I am not, I'm in one of those moods today. I can't explain it. So then telling her or or crashing with my in-laws now as we sold her place, or if I tell them I'm just not feeling good today then they know it's nothing that they did and they're not trying to fix me. I think like everybody's like, oh, you'll be okay. you will feel better. Like one of the
1: really important point, Derek. so
0: often when people feel like they say something,
1: it's like, I don't want to say anything because then I'm going to get all this attention. And it's like, well, well, what when you're like walking around, looking down, like you're in a bad mood, like you're not going to get attention that way. Like you'll get tons of attention. Everybody's going to want to like help.
0: (laughs) Yeah uh i mean that you just say like that you just
1: sort of say like hey guys i'm not feeling great today i'm gonna be back on my feet soon just like wanted you to know kind of like yeah love you and like off you go to do your thing
0: yeah exactly so you you let them know and then right there one maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they're more aware of what they're gonna say around you and they're not trying to fix you so then then if i'm not reacting the way i would normally be or as happy then they realize like oh it's nothing that they did it's just like i'm in a funk and then i'll go into i'll i'll try i've been trying to get into some more like um Gratitude and being aware of the things that are good in my life, and then I have to get some sort of movement in earlier in the day. You know, wait an hour, an hour and a half, maybe have a cup of coffee. Um Make sure then you, know, you, I, hit, you hit your you hit your movement right away. Yeah, which I hit, I think I hit is the movement huge. right away, and because then that gets me going. Often that will not completely fix it, but make it so much better and more tolerable. And then. I can go on with my day. And then I I make sure that I know that things don't make me feel good. Like, I don't really drink ever. I think I've had five drinks the entire, you know, calendar year, if that so, you know, I'm not going to do that, because I know how it makes me feel. And I know how these bad foods make me feel. Or if I go and grab like, I mean, pretty much everything in our house is organic, and whatever, even it's chips. But if I'm having like a big bag of chips and something else, and I overeat, I know I'm not going to feel good the next day. So I'm aware of that. Or on the other end, sometimes I allow myself to have that cheat meal or bad food and be okay with it. Like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be okay with it. But before I used to kind of beat myself up about it. You right, Kind of like you take away the pleasure of it because right. it's like, yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I, that's, that's really what helps me in then making sure I get my sleep and go to bed and wake up at the same time every night, get some light early in the morning in my eyes, do all these sort of things. And I'm fortunate enough to have like world-renowned experts like you and uh, other people on the podcast that I pick up these little things from and I start implementing them into my life uh and that's a little prelude of what my book's going to be about just so people know um i hope you talk about i'm i'm, I'm excited
1: for your book joey and I'm, I'm i hope you talk about your mental health in there um yeah. and i really encourage you to just as somebody who embraces a lot of lifestyle changes and and it feels like you're doing the mental fitness game really well in terms of focusing on on sleep and nutrition and and then i like that you you know uh, uh, you frame it appropriately of us all being work works in progress. We're always you know, we not we're like always. your moods always good. It's that you have tools for when it's bad, yeah. and they work more often than not. Yeah. And um, and I think that's that's really important to emphasize.
0: Yeah, well, when I when I get closer to that, I would love you to you know write a little excerpt for the book if you you know be up for willing to do that. But uh, um, so okay. what. Why write this book and what foods do you think are the most harmful for our anxiety and depression that are really kind of the culprits?
1: Yeah, I wanted to write the book for a couple of reasons. One, nutritional psychiatry is something I've been practicing and thinking about for over a decade. And it just it, it kind of the evidence really turned the corner about three or four years ago and a couple of things happened. One, a lot of other clinicians got interested in getting trained and as we gave um, conferences and and, and workshops, there's just a lot of buzz around some of the science behind this and some of the new data coming out around, particularly the Mediterranean diet to treat depression, but just the overall connection between gut health, like 10 years ago, I talked about like the microbiome and gut health and how that influenced your brain, people who are like meh meh nah. now is like it's like keynote speaker time right like oh talk more about the microbiome like it's fascinating gut brain connection and so so that's the, so new science i think is the short answer uh-huh. um and then i think people don't get it yet i think people haven't oriented their food and their life around their brain health we think about what we look like. We think about how much we make. We think about the car we drive. We think about our house. We don't think like you won, like you won, you have got a human brain. It's like, there's nothing else. Like all the other organs in your body, you can buy at Home Depot. Pump, Home Depot. Filter, Home Depot. Air filter, Home Depot, right? Mm-hmm. Human consciousness generator, maker of all your hopes and dreams. Like you can't get that at Home Depot. You can't get that at Lowe's either. No, it's like special thing. You, you can't? Ori- Orienting around really feeding that what does it need and and i think that that's um helped me especially coming from medicine where like they teach us to scare people which doesn't really work and you feel like an asshole right it's like no cholesterol bad person like no meat bad bad like dying dying of heart disease and i i didn't really like that i get really tired of that because it seemed like the data wasn't really holding up and also that nobody was changing how they eat based on that advice. And and so I got really curious, how do we best feed the brain? What foods actually work for that? And so to your question, the toxic foods, people, I think, really lost track in the meat versus no meat and the kind of low-fat cholesterol um, era messaging. So as we go from low-fat and low-cholesterol into like, let's all be plant-based, into let's all be vegan, there, there's been a, to me, it feels like, a, uh, like some weird dissociative experience where people stopped paying attention to what mattered, both in terms of data, but, but also in terms of taking care of brain health. Yeah. Like when I look at a dietary plan and it's like missing nutrients that your brain needs, because I'm kind of the kind of person like, I, I'm a little old school. I just feel like, can you get it all from food? Right. Almost like a little challenge because everybody else in history had to, and they, you know, they did pretty well. They got us here to this point. And yeah, we're, we're here, I think. We're here, right? They didn't have vitamins. The first vitamin got isolated in 1912. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It's like 110 years ago. There was like, anyone.
0: Anyway. That's pretty crazy. But
1: harmful foods, breakfast, cereal, yeah. any like soda, any like basically drink that you open, you buy in the store and open. It doesn't matter if it's like a tea, a soda, a diet soda. I think those are horrible for your mental health. Mm-hmm. I think it habituates you into this idea that you need this little canister of sugar, sweet sugary something or non-sugary.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that throws off your metabolism and your palate and your microbiome. Um, I, I think that simple carbohydrates and everybody says that in different ways. Some people say sugar, some people say fast carbs, but they just generally tend to be foods that we don't need to chew very much. They go down really quickly. Yeah, foods you don't need to chew stuff from uh, joey's childhood fryer where the oil hasn't been changed like that's probably the most toxic food on earth like you're the it's amazing that you recovered as you did it's like when you say it's like a couple bad days i was like geez that's like you've got it down because i was like you're like half trans fast probably joey so oh
0: dude i i have no idea but yeah i was probably living
1: did you you do like some fried desserts in there too like would you put like brownies and twinkies in there uh you know i never thought about that that's, well, that's it that's because you're over there missouri it sounds like in indiana you know we definitely you go to the state fair here you can get like a fried snickers bar uh-huh. you can get fried ice cream can, we fry we fried all of it too
0: i would buy the uh the snickers ice cream bars the box of them which had six or eight and i would eat uh, in one sitting yeah
1: yeah it was pretty like bad. that sounds like yeah You and I feel like had a similar Midwestern (laughs) teenage depression where it was like, let me tell you about my pain and a series of
0: Snickers bar ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So what are those things, you know, that the simple carbs, fast carbs, sugars, all those, what's happening to our brain? And is it just our brain? Or is, it, is there a, an effect on our microbiome? Well, let's
1: start it, because it's all very, very connected. So let's start yeah. you eat those foods, first of all, you know, is you're crowding out more what we call nutrient dense foods and nutritional psychiatry and nutrition. So foods like like oysters or wild salmon or kale or, or sweet potatoes, where for the calories they bring, they're bringing and even if it's some sugars in there, they're bringing lots and lots of nutrition. Yeah. Uh, these, these simpler foods aren't. So, so that's why f- of Americans don't meet the recommended daily allowance of magnesium and like 70% don't meet the recommended daily allowance of zinc. So in terms of brains, a couple things happening here. One, we're increasing inflammation because we're missing some nutrients, but also we're just eating in a way like sugar in, in processed foods just trigger inflammation through the trans fats, through the spike in blood sugar and the insulin um, through over time, we gain weight and all that central adiposity that people talk about. It, the reason it's bad for you is it's constantly like spewing out inflammatory factors, mm-hmm. it's not like just hanging out, like we don't look great in it. it. It's metabolically active tissue, it makes us over time more resistant to insulin, which over time leads to more inflammation. So, this is what's happening in the body now. First of all, those inflammatory factors then start floating around they start activating certain elements of the immune system of your brain because your brain has its own special set of cells. So you start to see more activation of what's called your microglia. Mm You can actually, they're... um, so my colleagues at Columbia now image this, and they f- see in depressed patients there's more inflammatory markers generally, but also in the brain there's more inflammation. Hmm. And we know when inflammation happens to the brain, we, we affect three major circuits. In the book, I talk about uh, I interviewed Roger McIntyre, and I was like, <clears throat> Roger, I'm writing this book, bro, and it's like, and I, this is what I hear, but it sounds like you know, is it am I too like deep in the wellness juju world? And he was like, no. He's like, inflammation is horrible for the brain. It affects three circuits. It affects mood circuits. It makes us feel down. We lose a sense of joyfulness and pleasure. Life loses its color. And you can think about that like back in the day when you were sick or injured and you went to hide in your cave, you you know, it's not like you wanted to be like, I got injured, but I'm going to come back. <laughs> right? You like go recuperate in the cave. Yeah. makes us hypervigilant. So we're always looking around, we're nervous, we're anxious. Again, from a kind of cave person standpoint, makes some sense, right? We're gonna be look, looking uh, uh, you know, at, the, at the edge of the horizon for threats, especially again, if we're injured or sick. Um, and then it shuts down our cognitive circuits in the sense that, that one uh, brain fog, right? That, that symptom people talk about, it's, it's a, um, very clearly related to inflammation. And so, and some people, you know, people have experience. Like, you go out for a like hard night of drinking, staying up too late, and eating too much food, and you wake up the next day and you feel kind of like, and have a little brain fog. It's because your brain is kind of bruised in a way. It's it's struggling with the inflammation of not sleeping, of being assaulted with alcohol, and of having all this, you know, ice cream thrown at it late at night and chips and all that stuff. So, that's what's happening in your brain. The other thing, sorry, this is like long winded here. The it, thing that really concerns me is it, what, what happens then is so we have this kind of, let's just say a little bit of inflammation going on. What your brain's always trying to do is grow, right? So like you and I are a good example of two neurons, right? We met each other on Instagram, right? But our brain's been wanting to connect for whatever reason. We thought we were going to have a fun conversation. We want to talk mental health. I want to talk mental health, right? And so over time, somehow uh, we've gotten to this moment and, and it's in many ways to me, a brain phenomenon. Right, and, and now that we've had more of a real conversation, like our brains are a little more connected, both in our own brain, but also with each other.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and so brain growth and brain connection is really what the brain is trying to do. And one of the ways I try to think about this inflammation and, and why I'm talking so much about these foods is really trying to get people into um, a brain, brain grow mode. But this idea that your brain is really poised to grow and make new connections and learn, it's poised to really recover from stress, you know, from these bad days that both Joey and I have, where it doesn't go two, three, four, five, it sort of happens. You deal with it, you know, you make, take some active steps and, and, and you kind of pop back out of it, ideally, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, what happens in terms of these foods is they increase inflammation. We're not even talking about the microbiome yet. So they cause the types of bacteria in your gut that cause more inflammation. Yeah. Bad food causes those to grow more. Um, and all of that leads to a kind of decreased drive for our brain to be in growth and recovery mode
0: wow yeah i mean it is really really interesting to to think about this because for the longest time people only looked at food as what is going to happen aesthetically to Mm you and then calories right it's just energy calories and energy and maybe you were by chance, having these different foods, you know, that could help your brain. But looking at a diet on and what to eat, and you, you've got a whole six week plan in here, and incorporating these specific foods, I could see how people are just going to start obviously feeling better, but looking better as well. Because I mean, a, a lot of these foods in here is exactly how I would prescribe a nutrition plan for somebody.
1: Well, that's good. I mean, here I am, like 47. These are the foods I eat, so I don't know. It's uh, I I don't really take any supplements. I just eat these foods. So I guess maybe I, I'm hopefully an example of at least staying somewhat reasonably useful and healthy. And and I do think that what looks best on people. I mean, I've seen lots of people over the years uh, go from single to to married and in love and and or partnered or have you know however they kind of. Went from that state, and what strikes me is it just what looks good on people, and what looks good and sexy on people is feeling confident, yep. and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. I mean, and I think that gets missed into so much that like what really doesn't turn people on is when people are worried or obsessed or too harsh on themselves, and you know, not focused on connection and having a good time. So, yeah. um, but yes, it's my hope that it's not just you know. It is my hope that, that as people adopt these foods, now that we have a country that the majority of our country is struggling with high blood sugar and obese obesity, and, and, and that's really driving part of the depression and anxiety epidemic, that that people really reclaim some of their metabolic health, you know, and, and it'll have profound implications, both you know, for how, how people feel. I think you're right in the short term, better sleep, better mood, but also just feeling a better sense of um, efficacy and 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 self-empowerment to be able to take control of your health
0: yeah so you you came up with the uh, antidepressant food scale Uh, And you talk about this in your book and you go over what that is and some specific uh, nutrients or types of foods that people should be eating. Obviously you want to get the whole thing, pick up the book, but. uh, I'll give
1: you the whole thing now, Joey, let's just share it. We care about mental health. So the antidepressant. What a guy, what a guy. It's like, let's say, come on. Like like, if I can help you beat your depression with telling you to eat more anchovies, I'm not going to hold that information back. Um, And. And I'll tell you, I do think eating more introbies can help with depression. So the way that I came up with this stuff is I, I was a young psychiatrist and I was, thinking, you know, I was a vegetarian at the time. And I was thinking, this is just really ridiculous. There's all this data about omega-3 fats and magnesium. And we don't ask anybody about what they eat. And in my own personal life, I was really, I've been paying, I grew up on a farm. I'd really been paying attention to my health. I was a college athlete. I really you know, cared about that stuff in my personal life. But in my professional life, I was in some ways trained to do what, what Joey experienced, ask people about symptoms, figure out the medicine, tell them to take it, give them a prescription, watch, hope that, you know, cross your fingers, hope it works. Right. Um, if it doesn't try another medicine. And, and you know, I was trained a little better than that. I trained at Columbia where we teach a lot of psychotherapy and and even some integrative medicine. So it, it you know, I don't want to be too disparaging of my field, but I just noticed we didn't ask people about food. And so, I started researching that more and more, and thinking about what foods would we recommend. And then I got really neurotic, Joey, where I was like, "Oh, I'm like at Columbia. Like the only way I can really recommend anything is I got to publish it." <laughs> and so I've got, and I looked around at like how would you do that? And there were all these. Remember at Whole Foods when everything had like a score out of a thousand, and like kale was a thousand. So that's called the Andy, the Aggregate N- Nutrient Density Index. Uh-huh. And I kind of looked into that, and it's called what's called a nutrient profiling system. And these are basically where you just take the stuff that you want in food, right? All the nutrients you want, and you divide it by the stuff you don't want, all of the, let's say, salts or... And I decided the only thing I was curious about was the the calories. How many of a certain set of nutrients can you get per calorie? And we picked those nutrients by looking in the scientific literature, and there were 12 nutrients that stood out as really having significant data that they could influence the risk of depression. So like when a population eats more zinc, there's less depression. Or when you give people with an antidepressant, when you give them zinc, their depression gets a little bit better or better faster. So these 12 nutrients, we said, you know, what foods have the most of these? And we listed all the animal foods and all the plant foods. And there's the open, if you just Google antidepressant food scale, it's, you can see the list. Yeah. What's curious to me, and what to be curious about to you about the list were the food categories. And so that's why when I say leafy greens, it's not just that like, hey, I love kale and the kale mafia paid me off years ago. And I'm the reason that you have like kale leggings and like, you know, kale ice cream and all this stuff. Uh, It's that kale is really, really nutrient dense in some of these 12 nutrients and, and, and kale fits in a food category that of the top 10 plants, Six or seven of them are leafy greens. Mm. It's also where these rainbow vegetables, as you look at the top 20 vegetables, there's just a lot of colors. And it, and it led us into thinking about food categories, which is really the you know, watercress is at the top of the list. Now, most of you have probably not eaten watercress. I hadn't. It's actually a major part of Haitian food. I didn't actually know that. But it's a fun green to experiment with. And, and, and if you want to build your leafy green out from iceberg lettuce and kale and start thinking about more collard greens, more arugula. And that's really the, the hope of, of the book and, and of the work is to take these food categories. And instead of there being like, you know, crazy superfoods or uh, that, there's food categories where you know, you know, if you're eating seafood, you're making a pretty good choice for your brain if you're eating rainbow vegetables or nuts or beans if you're eating lots of olive oil like those are great brain healthy choices and so that's how we arrived on the food categories and then for each beach depression and anxiety you know everybody wants a list of foods so i just picked the 15 i thought kind of archetypal foods from each category they kind of passed my test as like an indiana guy like i can get this at walmart right it's it's accessible to most people in terms of affordability and it tastes good and it's sort of easy to use in the kitchen.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a, an important point because I think sometimes a, a lot of these diet books or nutrition books or anything out there, they're written for people that live in the cities and have access to, you know, maybe Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or any of these, you know, um, upper echelon grocery stores that might have these fancy foods and they're not written for your Southern Missouri person that lived off of Crisco for a long time. But yeah, anybody can find spinach or they're they're growing it or they're, they're, they're farming and they can you know get a fish out of the pond. Um, I think that's really important. And you, I have a lot of illustrations in there, which is really good. Um, Let's
1: show some illustrations. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, this the, is an important part of the book. We well, asked I, about I inflammation. And, and I did this yeah. because I just wanted to communicate the information better. And
0: I got, I got one
1: there too, yeah. The BDNF brain derived neurotrophic factor, where you know, like we throw these words around, and, and even for me, I remember when I started doing this, I was like, you know, just making sure that some of these simple things, like what are good sources of magnesium and what exactly does magnesium do in my brain, where it's a lot of information, especially if you don't have a science background to kind of keep in your head. Or I also hope to, people use some of it to motivate themselves. You know, when you learn that like your DNA gets protected by folate, or that zinc is one of those nutrients that improves uh, BDNF that that sort of hormone that puts our brain more into grow mode mm-hmm. and that oysters and pumpkin seeds are great sources of zinc yeah. it just I don't know it, it the- I put zinc on my oatmeal this morning. Not for not zinc. I put pumpkin seeds on my oatmeal this morning. Well, you part, did put zinc I did put zinc and magnesium zinc. and a little bit of
0: fiber. And yeah, I think fr- if people started speaking, I put some zinc on my oatmeal. I I, I took I put some magnesium on my fish. To-
1: yeah, exactly. I did a nice folate sauce on there <laughs> with some
0: <laughs> that'd be a good experiment people are like what the hell uh I, I i do love pumpkin seeds by the way just a little crunch sometimes i get the sprouted ones they they are uh quite delicious uh, yep. yeah let's let's talk about bdnf because a lot of people i think if they hear about it maybe they hear about it when we're talking about like ketogenesis kind of they talk about that a little bit but I'm like, about BDNF? everyone likes to talk about serotonin it's
1: like it's like the nineties. It's like brain science never evolved for people. It's like, they're all still listening to Madonna and you're <laughs> like, there's like some new bands. People are like, nah, I like Madonna.
0: And I'll I, I mean, my, I'll stick doesn't... with my cone bra and listen to Madonna. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, come on. So
1: I mean, BDNF brain derived neurotrophic factor is this neuro hormone. It's called a neurotrophin and it is what facilitates brain cells. One being born new brain cells being born in the hippocampus. Number two, brain cells, like reaching out, like a lot of these newer antidepressants like ketamine, or I guess you call them older antidepressants, stuff we've known about for a while, but now it's getting more acceptable, psilocybin, MDMA, the way, one of the ways that those seem to work is by just inducing a lot of brain cell sprouting, that the brain cells are kind of reaching out to make new connections. And BDNF helps regulate that. It's really the master regulator of
0: that. Hmm. Interesting. It's cooler so-
1: than serotonin. Serotonin is still cool, but like, and also people don't even realize this. Like that's when people are like antidepressants, like serotonin, serotonin. It's like, okay, what do you think the after you bind the serotonin receptor, what do you think happens? Like one of the things that happens and one of the reasons it takes a month for an antidepressant to work is there's an induction of BDNF. So mm-hmm. psychotherapy, lithium, um, antidepressants, exercise, better sleep and better diet all influence BDNF. Okay. And it, it's, and, you know, it makes sense. It's like all these interconnected systems that if they're working, that's why we feel better. Our brain's like just taking better care of itself.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Isn't there something to do with uh, a sleeping and increasing BNF as well? Uh, Sort of a detoxification of the brain when you're sleeping?
1: Yeah. So, so exactly. So, so your brain makes like seven grams of waste a day, which is like a couple of teaspoons. And if you just think about it, it's like all up there dissolved in your brain fat and it's like pain in the ass to get it out. But every night while you're asleep, that's what your brain does. And, and that's why sleep is so important. And sure, like you can survive on five or six hours. You can survive on shitty quality sleep. Like your brain has been surviving for like millennia. Like survival is not an issue. If it's got like a warm, clean bed and some calories, it's actually like, you know, gonna get by. But to really, I mean, I think it's, it's where everybody knows this. you get that good night's sleep and you wake up and you're like, wow that was a miracle like I feel right. so much better it's, not always but a lot of times especially if you're sleep deprived I remember you know, being a young doctor in training where you just get pushed sometimes like 24 sometimes 36 hours where like you're falling asleep on your feet like everything aches your eyelids ache and you'd hit the bed you'd be out I remember I fell asleep at some restaurants it was embarrassing I fell asleep at a club a couple times like who's the it was the young resident. I was like, sorry. I was like, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> anyway, but you fall asleep, you'd wake up the next morning. And it was like, all that stuff was you're just better, right? You just felt better. And so, yeah, sleep, sleep's very, really, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's how brain, if, if you don't get that deep quality sleep, um, really particular part of our sleep cycle, where the whole kind of brain uh these other set of brain waves kind of take over and the brain enters a very different state when it's cleaning itself Mm -hmm. it's like the wash cycle it's like yeah and it's where sleep is so critical to this it's it's, sort of interesting like where people don't move their bodies and stay flexible you end up not feeling very good Mm -hmm. if people don't eat well you end up not feeling very good and if people really don't take care of their sleep uh, you don't end up feeling very good
0: so what should a, a day look like for somebody if they were going to eat for their brain? Like, you know, like, like a breakfast, lunch, dinner. What, what would that look like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, first thing is like a good day for brain health and mental fitness. You're going to wake up and get some early morning light, and probably check in, especially if you're waking up super hungry, right? Or overwhelmed, like it sort of, it, it, it tells you some data about how you did in the last 12 hours. So if you're waking up like, everyone's had that experience, like they drink some red wine and they wake up like ravenous, right? And so, but you wanna wake up not ravenously hungry. Um, I think some checking in, I I think people debate breakfast uh, up and down and I eat breakfast sometimes. I would say I I recommend a a kind of few set of foods that I think a smoothie that has nuts in it. Um, uh, So you're getting protein and usually kefir so that's a fermented dairy product. So you're getting a bunch of these good bacteria for your gut. You're getting some protein and fats. Like I think the mistake people make with smoothies is they have sugar bombs as opposed to like a lot of plants, fats, and proteins. I'm a big egg fan uh, a couple, you know, a few times a week. I think eggs are just, they're a perfect protein. They're a low calorie food and they have every single nutrient needed to pick a brain cell. Mm-hmm is a chicken's brain cell is different a little bit than your brain cell, but it's a brain cell nonetheless, and it's functional. And if you think about it, everything to make that brain cell is inside the egg. It's I guess a little gross for some people, but I'm here on the country, we have chickens. So I don't know. I just think I'm, it's- a I'm cool, an egg fan. I, I, it's, it's a cool it, thing to think about, right? Everything yeah. you need to make a brain cells in an egg. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of foods that are a source of B9 and B12 and long chain omega-3 fats and magnesium and iodine and all that stuff. So, um, so- uh, I'm a, a fan of oatmeal, especially you know unsweetened oats. Where I'll put like I did this morning, I have a little banana, some you know nuts, berries, fruit, a lot of cinnamon in there usually. Mm. Um, those are some good breakfast quiche is a great one, I got eggie pie. Trying to get some wild salmon in there. Mm. Those would be some like breakfast ideas. Um, trying to basically avoid. The simple carbs that people love for breakfast, the muffins, the breakfast cereals. I'm a fan of toast occasionally, Joey. I'm just gonna say it here, just to be honest with you. I dough. A good relationship. I, I, I'll i go freaking just any like like anything that's warm and crispy from the toaster with butter on it. God, I love that. That's a great way to start the day. Um, but that's not recommended, that's not that great And then Usually some sort of like everybody else, I, I, I like caffeine in the morning um, and I've tried to get off of my daily coffee. And so I switched over to green tea. I'm sorry, Earl Grey tea a lot. I don't really love the green tea. I'm okay with it, but Earl Grey, pff, that stuff does me right. So I have a lot of Earl Grey tea throughout the day and, and I'm back on the coffee. I'll have like a cup every now and then, but I kind of got off the lots of coffee thing and took maybe I was like three or four months off of coffee for a while just to see how it was. It was I fine. It. You're okay. It was fine. It's one of those things that like I think people I, I think we um you know, you tell people we're gonna stop coffee and people act like you know you're about to like beam to another planet or something. It's uh where you're gonna have horrible headaches, it's gonna be awful and brain fog and I'm like well, I, I don't know. I just think there's also the idea of like, how about not having like a little dark roasted bean control your life always? And so it's more of just wanting to have freedom and just be a slave to the tea leaves instead of the coffee. Bean. <laughs> but I'm all for coffee. Dopamine is a good thing. It gets us going. And just to finish, I think lunch then I'm a big fan of soups and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and kind of hearty salads for lunch Different, you know, not even just like a greens based salad, but even like warm grains. I like to get a lot of protein in at lunch, probably minimize my carbs. Um, I just tend to get pretty sleepy at three or four. If I have a, a carb heavy um i like simple lunches like mediterranean platters where i'll have like um you know some hummus and a little bit of feta and some olives and trying to again get a lot of plants um this is also a place where i'll slide in some locks when i can or or, you know if we had fish the night before i'll put a little like broiled salmon on top of a salad Um, And then dinner, you know, dinner is going to be, well then snacks, snacks are going to be nuts and dark chocolate kind of whenever I want them Uh, or you, whoever you are who want them in terms of your brain healthy eating. And then dinner is usually going to be a lot of oven roasted veggies, you know, all the favorites. Like a lot of, for us, we've been in a big cabbage phase, cabbage leeks um purple sweet potatoes which will pre-cook in the microwave and then roast in the oven and then usually some you know uh, uh other grass-fed beef or again trying to looking for seafood mm-hmm. and um and then if it's going to be something like a pasta really trying to like jazz it up with like some pesto or some seafood um oh and beans i'm a big fan of beans beans
0: and rice i like beans and rice i'm a, I'm a big bean guy myself you know i went Vegan for three months. I was vegan and gluten free, which is actually difficult to do if you're buying like those, those like fake it's meat. tough. It was tough. Uh, I did it for the podcast. Uh, I had my own Facebook watch show with um, Juliana Hever, who's a plant based dietitian. Um, so How'd it go? I, you know, the funny thing is, I actually kind of liked it because I really wasn't the only thing I was monitoring for the most part was protein. Uh I would have to add plant-based proteins. And so to this day, mainly I do plant-based proteins. Uh, so for three months, uh, completely vegan gluten-free and I was just eating. I love eating just big meals I'd rather have two huge meals in a day. Right. You could just and, eat a ton of, you could just chow yeah. on the plants just, all day. I would have literally two, three cans of beans. I would have an entire bunch of asparagus, which asparagus has 15 to 20 grams for a bunch of protein. Like people don't realize that. And you got all this- Top p- source of tryptophan too. Good yeah. for the mood. Really good. And then they got prebiotic fiber. And so I was having that. And then on top of the beans, and obviously my digestive system was took a couple of weeks to get used to that. I was even texting Juliana. I'm like, my wife's wondering when the hell I'm gonna stop ripping ass. She's like, once your gut kind of gets yeah, once out, you get adjusted And it, even once it adjusts, it's still a, yeah, it's it still a turbulent yeah. ride at times. Um, but after a few weeks, I actually felt amazing. I really did my I got my blood work done. Um, my A1C went down, it was already low. It had gone down, my testosterone had gone up, which is really interesting. <sighs> I think maybe I was trying I was trying to figure this out. And I think maybe because I went from when I was shooting the, the TV show and stuff, I was doing a lot of like the process, like beef sticks and stuff really quick. And like all these other foods, like I was kind of grabbing fast. So maybe there was an inflammatory aspect happening with it. Maybe it just happened that I was sleeping better. I don't know. Like I can't really pinpoint what caused that, but my testosterone levels went up. So did that for a few months. And then I went plant-based, if you will. So mm-hmm. I was still having mainly plants, but I'd still had, you know, chicken and eggs and all this sort of stuff or ovo vegan, right? Uh, so I did that for, uh, quite some time and I tried other diets for the podcast and things, but I still have probably five to 10 servings of greens a day, two to three, two to three servings of fruit, mainly from berries. And the funny thing is, cause I, I went from that almost no carbs, then eating plants. I'm like, Oh my God, I can have an apple. I can have <laughs> blueberries. This is crazy. My wife's like, are you feeling all right? You're, you're having fruit today. Right. Okay? <laughs> Uh, but I, I felt wrong. Yeah. I felt absolutely amazing. So maybe like the final nutrients and the fruit and like all that sort of stuff, maybe, you know, that, well,
1: I think that it, was happening. I but mean, I it, yeah. I mean, what's interesting, I think is, is also there's such a debate that like one of these is right where we can often feel good on a variety of different diets. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a good example. I did I did vegetarian. I don't think I did the healthiest vegetarian diet. I did it kind of a long time ago before it was popular. Yeah. And there's a lot more processed food and simple carbs in there than I needed. And so I think a lot of times when people are like, you know, kind of thinking about their diet experience or, you know, it's it's rare that we compare like a vegan who's doing it right and feeling great with mm-hmm. a carnivore who's doing it right and feeling right. great. You know, right. it's it's um, but it's always been interesting to me that that you know, the variety of foods that the plant-based movement has opened us up to. And, you know, and to think about brain health is really being a a plant-based eating uh, paradigm where the majority of your calories are coming from plants, but you're definitely peppering in these other foods like fermented dairy and and particularly seafood and then trying to help people with the meat debate Mm -hmm. where it's really, um, you know, for a lot of people, particularly kids, like my my son i wouldn't say he's a picky eater it's just one of the things he really likes is steak and hamburger and i don't know he's a growing young seven-year-old boy it's there's you know i'm not he'll definitely eat some plants and has a variety of plants he likes but it's i think it's really good for his brain health to at this stage particularly to be getting um uh, getting the nutrient concentration uh that you get from from grass-fed beef um but it's weird. It's hard to say that without feeling like that means you're taking a stance. You're an advocate for one of these. Right. right.
0: It is really interesting. I don't know why we always have to be in this box. You know, like I, I always tell people like, are you feeling good? Are you kicking ass on life? Then whatever the hell you're eating, whatever you're doing, keep doing that. Like yeah, just, right? just because Dr. Drew said something or Joe, or like, doesn't mean you need to go to that because this next biggest and greatest thing, maybe you can like pick and choose some of these things to incorporate, maybe add some more nuts or seeds or beans or whatever. But if you're feeling good, Why would you change that? And why would you go to that? You know, like there's a, there's a big like uh, regenerative farming, you know, um, uh, Belcampo, like I get all our meat from there. with grass fed grass finished Mm -hmm. and all the meat is like incredibly nutritious, which the same thing people know by now, finally about like wild caught salmon versus the farm raised salmon, completely different in the astaxanthin levels. But people, I think, I don't know why we're just so, angry about everything like you know it's like republican and democrat what does it matter like if, if if you want to eat carnivore and you want to throw in some broccoli or something go ahead like if you're actually eating nose to tail like carnivore says yeah you can get your your vitamin c from liver but most people don't want to eat liver like right like yeah, so no, i did that I, I added in the liver to my pancake mix my everybody
1: took a bite and they're like and they're like what'd you do i was like i just put in a little a little they're like you put in a little too much like it's <laughs> like metal and i'm like yeah a little too much they're like ease it in but it is um there is this polarization joy yeah. that happens and i think there are certain elements in the wellness world that also push that and mm-hmm. and, and i really really resisted i feel like as a psychiatrist I, you know um how do i put this like anger interests me only in so much as what it means to people and then what people can do to understand it and then stop having get in the way of them forming connection and living a happy life and so you know i i certainly appreciate i mean i've i've i've, I've had my share of, of debates and i always find it a little unsatisfying and i think that's because as a psychiatrist you know the majority of my time working is not about my goals it's about your goals mm-hmm. if your goal is to be a lovo active a lovo uh lacto ovo vegan or to eat carnivore or to eat keto or to eat whole 30 I get really curious. on like, what that is, what my role is in helping you, how I can help you dial that dietary plan in to best feed your brain. You know, if you're going to go vegan, that's great. You're not going to get any B12 or DHA. Those are the two nutrients most clearly tied to brain size. Mm. Like, if you don't eat DHA and B12, your brain will shrink. You'll get demented and depressed. Like, hundred percent. Like, that's just neurology. And so. It's interesting that there's been this real push towards those styles of eating, because yeah. it's really, it is a dietary pattern that part of what drives the movement, I think is a little confusing and obscure for people, is that it's an eating plan that requires supplementation. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think people quite sometimes appreciate the pernicious drive that that is. Right. Um,
0: but. I, I, I don't know, it, it makes, I, I, I get it, you know, people are trying to, you know, sell whatever they're they're pitching it'd be like uh if it came out that cardio was completely bad for you and a treadmill maker is not gonna like go out and say like yeah cardio is like <laughs> no, no they're, they're, I'm making my money there people are running on this hamster wheel i know cardio is amazing for you so you, you gotta take a little bit of the grain with uh grain of salt uh last question where do you hope the future of brain health um is heading and um depression anxiety where, where, where do you hope it goes to
1: There are two places, the two words that come to mind, Joey. it's a great question. Thank you for that question. It's really and thanks for everybody for listening this long. It's just an honor to be in a position to get asked that question. Um, I think about accessibility in terms of how people can access mental health resor- mental health resources and how that's changing. And we're really in the first stage of that via the pandemic. where now people from anywhere in the world feel comfortable accessing me via, Skype, Zoom, FaceTime to have a mental health encounter, mental health session, mental health evaluation. So that's, people have been kind of working on that. I've been doing a lot of telepsychiatry for, I don't know, a decade or so, but it's gonna change accessibility and I hope expand services. And also the way that we think about mental health services, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think people felt... Um, talking about gut health and learning to roast vegetables and eat more plants in a Mediterranean style cooking class was part of your mental health care plan. Yep. And now I think we do. People didn't think that like, Hey, picking up yoga or uh, exercise or having your favorite influencer on Instagram that you do his workout, a uh, wink, wink on open fit, uh, open fit slash Joey.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: I love <laughs> it. Uh, that that <laughs> Dr. Drew's coming back on Yeah, that, you know, that, that, is a part of your mental health. Yeah. Um, I think in some ways we've, we sometimes mental health care we've been a little threatened by these non-credential, non-professional folks who really change people. I remember the first time that happened around like working hard in therapy, and someone like finds their guru or their meditation teacher or their trainer, and they're getting so much more out of it. And we felt almost threatened by that as opposed to really integrating that mm-hmm. and thinking we have something to offer in mental health, but there's a lot from the world of lifestyle medicine that we need to incorporate. So I would say more accessibility better diagnostics, but I think that's really going to revolutionize um, how we think about mental health and brain health as we get our diagnostic systems a little bit better than they are now, where it's very symptom-based. And then I think we're going to have this treatment option where just last month, there was a second plus this one was active placebo. So it was Lexapro versus psilocybin mushrooms. Mm. And then saying that two psilocybin mushroom treatments, so these are 20 milligrams and 30 milligrams per kilogram. So like a pretty hefty dose of psilocybin. It's psilocine, so it's synthetic psilocybin. So psilocine is the active molecule versus lexaprone antidepressant for patients with depression. And at six weeks, they were equal. So it kind of should be exciting that if we think that between the shifts in how people are thinking about, psilocybin, ketamine, MDMA, and cannabis, the shifts in the way people are thinking about psychopharm uh, in terms of beyond serotonin, I'm thinking about neurotrophins, thinking about inflammation. Um, I think we're gonna have better diagnosis, more treatment options and more accessibility. That, that's really, that's my hope that it, within my lifetime, and I'm gonna say within the next 10 years, there are significant shifts in in how people access and think about mental health um, i hope so at least that's i'm gonna work hard for it. joe you let me know let's get we'll go about like 10 years from now like 20 or well, like 20 31. we're like looking at 60 then bros gonna be hard hope, i'm gonna look the same actually i'm gonna to look totally the same you're gonna to look
0: totally the same
1: and we'll yeah like, here we are 10 years later power to power, to power of real food
0: uh i mean I I hope so. I I did ketamine therapy. It was actually my first ever uh, podcast talked about ketamine therapy for my depression. Um, It was wild. And I'll tell you why I I married a a woman as a master's in science from DePaul, who's very like, you know, scientific and not about doing any of this outside stuff. And I was like, Hey, I really feel like I need to try this. And she's like, it's not for me. But if you feel like this is going to help you, by all means, you know, who am I to say? Because, you know, like, if she loves me. So, of course, she wants me to Try this stuff and and feel better. So anybody interested, look at, the, look at my first ever podcast, tripping balls on. That's ketamine. a
1: that's right. uh, that's some um, uh, that's jumping in the deep end of the pool with your first podcast, going in deep about your personal mental health and oh, ketamine therapy. That's yeah. intense. I'm proud of you. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, t- uh, if you have any free time, which I'm sure you don't, you have so much, uh, take take a listen to that one. It was I did two treatments of ketamine therapy, and um, the doctor, uh, Doctor Alex Paziotopoulos. Who he blindfolded me, and he had studied with the monks, and he didn't go to med school too, like in his thirties. So very like black belt and like you know like Taekwondo or ta- So very like not your typical MD. He was like holding my hand the whole time when I was doing this, and I woke up and I had my friend who was a therapist in the room taking notes for me because I was just, I'm like I just wanted to do this right and woke up the blindfold was just drenched because I was apparently crying the whole time. Anyways, long story short, like first treatment I did, I didn't see any color, back to the color thing for full circle here. Second treatment I did, I, I felt like I was a wave and I saw all this different color in my life. And it was really, it was just life-changing to disassociate my ego with that. And it was really, really interesting. Admittedly, I feel like I should have done a few more treatments of that, but um it was it was wild a wild That's
1: good. i mean there are two parts you know there one is the way that these medicines if you know we when we think about like there's a chemical imbalance there's not enough of this or that so we're going to give you a medicine that makes more it, it, it's not exactly right yeah. and and what's interesting about uh these treatments is this notion as you mentioned the ego dissolution yeah where so often some of our mental health there's this thing called the default mode network in our brain which is kind of like the chatter in our brains as we're you know, kind of wrapped up in our own stuff, worried about how we're feeling and and, and worried and anxious and upset and sad. And what people like about these experiences is, is uh, one of the things is the ego dissolution that you feel a separation from self, yeah. now, which sounds scary, but the, the perk of that is a lot of times people feel an intense connection either to other people's or to thoughts or ideas or to sort of, um, there's a study of psilocybin that Stephen Ross at NYU did. Uh, years ago, one of the first ones was people dying of terminal cancer. They were really terrified of death and they were going to die in like three to six months. And so they had a psilocybin treatment and something like 80, I think it was 86%, a big percentage of them had a total resolution of the anxiety. And what they kind of universally reported is during the experience, they encountered um, uh, either a, a person or an animal or some energetic sort of presence that they felt calm and safe. And even after the experience that kind of stayed with them yeah. and helped them die peacefully or more peacefully, you know, and not be scared of the experience. So there, there, you know, when you ask me my hope for mental health, I want everyone to think it's like, oh, all ketamine and shrooms, yeah. but it's much more what, what I'm hoping for is that in our conversations, and in uh, increasing access and increasing options and decreasing stigma, that will just do a better job of people feeling cared for in terms of their mental health in this country. And and people will all also do their part, I think, and start to take care of our mental health. Not that we can't have fun and yeah. you know go dancing and eat fried chicken from KFC, but that you know there's there's more yeah. to our human pleasure than those things. So. Amazing, Dr. Drew Ramsey. Where can people find you? I'm on the. I'm an internet psychiatrist, Joey. I thought we know. I'm an internet psychiatrist. I'm here on the internet uh, all the time, twenty-four-seven. You can find me on Instagram. If you look on there, you'll see I'm. Uh, so I, I'm Drew Ramsey, MD. Everybody, I'm a psychiatrist. I've been based in New York. Now I am based on the internet and and um, between New York and Wyoming. You can find me my website, drewramseymd.com. Hopefully if you Google like eating for brain health, you, my name will come up. Maybe not, but don't tell me if that happens. It'd be horrible for my self-esteem. And I'm most active on Instagram at Drew Ramsey MD. Um, Yeah. I even make some fun reels. That's my favorite. My favorite favorite reels of my horse though. It's horrible. you didn't, he didn't ask me how I kept my,
0: middle-aged body in such hot dad shape i'm disappointed i don't Are know you, why i didn't
1: ask that bro. well like, you know
0: i was just about to say is there anything else i didn't ask you so how do you keep your uh, middle-aged body in hot dad shape yeah
1: i don't even talk about it joe you didn't ask spontaneously i have to i know what you think i know what you actually i just filmed something where i had some pants that didn't fit and i walked out and it was like every person's right? i had to walk out afterwards in the next pair of pants and look at like under lights like a cast and be a, a crew and be like so how did these pants look everybody? <laughs> it was just horrible, It's was horrible. Um, I just spit a little bit, literally I did. That's okay, <laughs> that's all right. Wait till you're my age and that happens. It's like, it's, like it's just <laughs> at least at your age you can recover. Um, I uh, I just ride my horse to deal with my emotional pain and work my inner thighs and pelvic floor <laughs> so I could stay continent late in life. Um, sure we can talk about been, exercise. You've
0: been holding a squat this whole time. It's I very, have been holding. It. Actually,
1: I do. I do. I do have on my riding pants. <laughs> <laughs> I did just come for the bar, Joey. It's been a, a real treat to talk with you. I'm really glad to know more about you as a mental health mental health advocate out there um, speaking about your experience and and it just it means a lot to me I didn't I didn't know that of, of your history and so I really am um, I'm happy that AI put us together and I'm glad to see you here on the internet and hope someday we'll get to meet in person and I just appreciate everything you're doing to take care of your mental health and everything you do to Help us keep our bodies in better shape. I enjoy all your lessons and tips, and uh, let's let's keep the conversation going.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you, my friend, and I appreciate everybody listening. Remember, this is the Fatter Future Podcast. Don't be a fatty, F A D D Y. Be a part be of the future. Fatty. Don't be a fatty, F A D D Y. Everybody laughs when I say that. It's a good, it's a good line, right? That's <laughs> how you know it's gonna be good. <laughs> all right guys take care see you next so time. we didn't talk about
1: the kale that's like i'm here to, you you brought me on finally now because you thought i was just the kale fad guy
0: but now you see i'm the real deal right <laughs> yeah perfect that that's a that's a perfect ending all right see you guys next week